recognizing the Lordship of Christ. Amen? He is sovereign Lord, God Almighty. And to be able to praise Him as His children is a privilege that most of the world does not have, nor do they want it because they're their own God. And to bow before Him in, hum- in, in true humility is beyond the American ideal. And it, 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 it's hard. But we truly as Christians are to serve, obey, and humbly become before Him in total awe and reverence. Amen. And I pray that we will realize that. All right, this morning I have got so much to do. This is the most, the greatest, most exciting, most non-combative, most non-debatable topic in all of Scripture, especially since we have just gone through COVID-19. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn with me to Romans chapter 13. We have now understood... That chapters 1 through 11, specifically, well, it's all of them, chapters 1 through 11, deal with theology in general. Who God is, what is He doing? The first man, the second, the first Adam, the second Adam. Then in chapters 9 through 11, we get eschatological issues of God's promises found in the Old Testament Revealed in the new, somehow, some way. Not all of them, but some of them, and how we see them, and how that God is not finished with Israel. I think that's a big deal. And then chapter 13 comes on the heels of chapter 12. And chapter 12, as we discussed last week, due to the fact of who God is and what He does. Basically, all the theology that is, is understood in chapters 1 through 11, based on all those mercies of God, this is how he expects us to reply. We are to then present ourselves, and it goes through all of this. This is how we are to act. This is what a Christian does because he is of the household of God. He now has a great and, and, and a unique relationship within the church. We now have to relate with, to society, verses 9 through 21, in a kind way, in a loving way. By the way, just, just so we, I, we didn't really spend a lot of time on 9 through 21, but the whole thing is this is how we act towards society. But here's the reality. How did Jesus react to society? He did. Here he is. There's a harlot and some scribes. Anybody remember the picture? And the scribes and Pharisees sit there and say, look at her, that harlot. We need to deal with her. God took up a stone, whipped it back at at them and say, hey, whoever's not guilty of sinning, you throw the first stone. What was he saying? In that instance... Jesus Christ is showing how we are to relate to the crowd as differently than how we relate to the church. 
He didn't look at that lady and said, you harlot, you're a horrible, I hate harlots and throw all these darts that we talked about this morning, right? He didn't even address that. Who did he look at? See, that behavior is expected from an unsaved. But the behavior that was expressed by the scribes and Pharisees is not acceptable. And so he just went after them. How many of you like getting bold in the truth of God? And right in people's face. That's hard sometimes. And for some people, that's just not what they do. But I will tell you this. Jesus did that, but he did it with other people who were religious. Not the world. How many see the difference there? Not that he condoned it. He absolutely did not. Woman at the well, same thing, right? You know your sin. I don't need to tell you that, what that is. It's just, it's so refreshing to see God do those things. But anyways, we get down, so verses 9 through 21 of chapter 12 are all how a Christian acts and lives within society. And I, I think it's devoted to one another and brotherly love. We don't throw each other Christians under the bus. Rejoicing in hope. Persevering in tribulation. We have to persevere through life. Contributing to the needs of the saints. Participating in hospitality to others. Bless those who curse you. Bless them and curse not. And, and the whole list is there. Chapter 13 is where we get into a bristle mode. How many understand? Chapter 13 is where during the start of COVID was, was some people would say shoved down people's throats. But the reality is, it's just that that is talking about how we are to deal with government. So it just makes sense that you talk about that when we need to know how to deal with government. I'm going to get that. So it's not as if, you wicked people, I'm going to just do that. That's not the issue. The issue is, chapter 13, the first seven verses, is how do we relate to government? And the reality is, as I expressed when we first taught this, because it was so fresh in our minds, none of us got it right. None of us were perfect in how we did, dealt with this. And, and actually, you can look back now and say, well, I would deal with it different now. I would even say, yeah, that's true. There are some things I'd do differently now that in this situation. By the way, I think this one's, this car has already been down the track. There'll be another one coming with different circumstances. So it, it's going to be different, but yet the principles never change. The principles never change. So, the text says every person is to be in subjection to the governing authorities. Now, some people take that as angels. That's a lie. That's not true. That's the people on earth. Those are authorities that are given governmental control. For there's no authority, because God actually puts the authority on this earth, whom God does not exist are established by God. Therefore, whoever resists this authority has opposed the ordinances of God, and they who have opposed will receive condemnation upon themselves. So, if we disobey government when they are not 
when they are, are not in contrast to Scripture, when we are disobeying government, and it's not a biblical issue why we do that, then do we, will we receive condemnation, yes or no? Absolutely. For rulers are not a cause of fear, but for good behavior. And we can look at this text and we can put it in our own context and we think, yeah, yeah, right. Okay, I get it, but these are what the truth says. Rulers are not a cause for fear, for good behavior, but for evil. In other words, just obey the law and there's not a problem. Do you want to have no fear of authority? Do what is good and you will have praise from the same, the authority. For it is a minister of God to you for good. It's interesting he calls it a minister. Let me ask you, how many times have you heard the pastor alone as referred to the minister? Yes or no? In reality, this text says the government is being a minister. Now let me ask you, do we ever view them as the ministers? What is it that he's trying to say? The government is to serve you. And praise the Lord for the government of America that has preserved our freedom to worship freely. Amen. They have served us in that capacity. Now, will it wane and will it come to an end? Maybe, maybe not. I have no idea. It doesn't look good now, but the reality is they are used of God to accomplish His goal. By the way, what, what did God say in the Noahic Covenant that gives the authority to the government? He established it, did He not? The Noetic Covenant established the government. Government is important. He established families, God did, and government. I digress. For if you do what is evil, be afraid, for it does not bear the sword for nothing. Who's that? The government doesn't bear the sword for nothing. For it is, again, he says, a minister of God. An avenger who brings wrath on the one who practices evil. Therefore, it is necessary to be in subjection, not only because of wrath, but also for conscience' sake. For because of this, you also pay taxes. Ugh! Here we are on the verge. We are April 1st. Second, sorry. Yeah. Because trout season ended yesterday, uh, Friday, not Saturday. And I was bummed. Regardless, pay our taxes. Why? Rulers are servants of God, devoting themselves to this very thing. Render to all what is due them. Tax to whom taxes due, custom to custom, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. And then it goes through and talks about other things that we'll deal with later. But this morning, let's just be honest. This passage of Scripture is extremely difficult to apply to a Christian's life. Is that not true? Is it hard to obey those? Well, the reality is, 
there is such a thing as the priesthood of the believer. Believer, believer. The priesthood of the believer. But that contents text is within the church. That is not a context that the government understands. Nor does the government... Listen, if everybody did what was right in their own eyes, it's called what? Anarchy. Government is here to squash anarchy. You say, well, they didn't. You're right. But they must. And hopefully, eventually, they will. So, this is just, again, we're going through these, we're going to go through in jet style. At the beginning of COVID, and we're using COVID because that's the that's where the rubber meets the road, is it not? Um, because of government. I posted this, had a wonderful week in the NBC uh, here at Northland. The pews in the parking lot were full. Now, unfortunately, today they're not because I think people got scared of ice. Best of all, we learned more about Jesus and his great love for our depraved being. God's grace, blessings, thank you all for coming. You seeing. See you next week for part two. We had started the life of Christ, and it was packed. There was very little room for anybody. And it was packed, and I instantly got a uh, uh, condemnation from one of my college kids who never have talked to me before, but thought it was of their best interest to set me straight. Do you realize... That the CDC is recommending all gatherings over 50 be canceled for eight weeks. In other words, why in the world are you doing this? You shouldn't have been meeting. You should have followed. In his mind, the recommendation from CDC was equal to a law in government. Now, is the CDC's recommendation a law from government? No, it's a recommendation. So we were not disobeying government by, by being here. Okay? Let's set that straight. Unfortunately, I don't know why he did that, but he did. Um, yeah, I don't even remember what this is all about, but Monday started, and that Monday the governor got up and said, hey, this is the issue. I wish they would, I wish they would be more transparent and open like all of us. But reality is, here's the deal. COVID-19 was here in the country. True? They didn't know what it truly was or what it really would do. And so they asked us to shut down, told us to shut down, right? The government did. And to not meet. Now, if that was a mandate that was for everybody... I think that's reasonable. If we don't know what's going on and don't know what's, how bad this is, it could have been horrible. Right? Could have been. So, they said churches shut down, but they did more than that. What did they do? Walmart, you're there. You're good. This, you're there. I mean, liquor stores... And all this was open. So there was a double tier. It wasn't consistent. Furthermore, for us up here specifically, this was thrown out. If you live in A, don't carry 
don't go to your cabin in B. You could be carrying it and not even know it, which is true. We all have experienced that. We know that. Limit the spread. You aren't on vacation. You're supposed to stay home. Let me ask you what happened on Tuesday of that week. If you, how many of you, my wife and we were we just worked all the way through because we're our job is our family, so whatever. We just worked, and then we would go to the big box stores that were open, and we couldn't find a parking spot. So okay, in the midst of this came the riots, the anarchy. You can say it was a peaceful demonstration in Minnesota at this date, it was anarchy. Anarchy ruled. They have lost control. Why Minneapolis burned after George Floyd's death, pent-up frustrations, provocators, and inexperienced leadership led to the mayhem for three nights. Justice, they call it. No, it was absolute anarchy. There's no two ways to look at it. During the anarchy, with these pictures flooding everywhere, literally, pastor was saying this. An evangelical pastor was saying this. As these riots were going on, he said, there are nearly 1.2 million hunters in Minnesota and Wisconsin. Wink, wink. What is he saying? Don't come here because we have and we'll use them. Now, let's be fair. How many of you have ever thought that? Wrongly. <laughs> sure. But would you write it down for the world to see? And of four years later still be there? Did the church respond properly in this? Not at all. That's just simply wrong. Why is it that we think that way? And why is it that we would say and write such things? In Christians' minds, the Constitution and the Bill of Rights are equal to Scripture. Is that not true? Is that not what that pastor was saying? I have my guns. I have my property. Don't you dare come up here. To be sure. By the way, how many love that flag behind there? That is spectacular. That's sitting in my shop. I had to tell you that. <laughs> Why? Because I love this country. I love the freedoms we enjoy. I love that I can participate in who we hire as our president. I am proud, in a sense, I am proud to be an American. I truly am. I am thankful for those that died and gave, have given their lives not only physically, but emotionally and mentally for 
our freedoms that we enjoy. I am certainly thankful for that. But, but, we have to recognize, as Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of the world, then my servants would be fighting so that I would not be handed over to the Jews. But that is, it is my kingdom is not of this realm. What was he saying? He was saying our citizenship is in heaven. Is that not true? A believer's citizenship is in heaven from which we also eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. It talks about it in other passages. So then you are no longer, you know, we, we, we are no longer strangers and aliens in this world. But we are, are we not right now? We are strangers. We are aliens. But we're also fellow citizens with the saints and are of the household of God. Now, that is understood in many different ways. In Lutheran theology, coming directly from Luther, he believes the world is two kingdoms. The kingdom of the world and the kingdom of God. Augustine, Augustine, see I listen to too many people. Augustine, <laughs> Augustine also had this thing he called two cities. The city of God and the earthy city. And there is truth to that. Where we participate in two different kingdoms. Is that not true? And we participate in two different cities. I think the theology is wrong behind it. But regardless, there's a truth there. There are today theologians who believe we're only in one city and we've got to fix everything on this earth. How's that going to go? And how do you deal with all of that in Scripture? You can't. That one's wrong. Dead wrong. It's called a one, one kingdom theology. The principle here is that we have to understand in order to go forward is we are Christians before we are Americans. We are Christians before we are Americans. Why? Because our citizenship is not of this world. That is what the texts have clearly expressed. Does that mean we just go monistic? Does anyone know what monistic means? Monistic. Go all by yourself somewhere else on a desert island and leave the world alone. Let the world die. Now, well, early church thought so, and sometime we'll deal with that, but we are Christians before we are Americans. We are in the world, but not of the world. Matter of fact, the text, I think it's John 11, he says very clearly, if I wanted you out of the world, then that would have happened. But I want you in the world so that you are a help to the world. I think it's... Anyways. But there is a problem. The problem is, Romans 13 says that we are to obey civil government. Does it say to obey civil government? Yes or no? Absolutely. Can't take that away. We are to obey civil government. But Acts chapter 5, verse 29 says that we should be obey God rather than men. Do these two principles collide? They can. 
they can. So, who is our governing authority? Some people say the president. Now, I have feelings about the president. But it doesn't matter. God placed him there. That's the reality. But is he really our boss? Well, there's the senator who represents me in Washington, D.C. There's the representatives that represents my smaller community in Washington, D.C. There's the governor who's making a lot of drastic and I think wrong laws. There's the state representatives who are even smaller and are working for me in down in Minneapolis. There's the mayor of La Prairie or the mayor of Split Hand. I don't even think they have a mayor. Regardless, there's the city board. There's the sheriff. There's the police. There's the township board. There's the county commissioner. Court judges. And the U.S. Constitution. All of these things. How many of these are not our boss? In a sense. The reality is, during COVID, none of these guys were fighting. They were fighting each other. Were they not? Going against each other. I understand that the sheriff was going around to the church saying, hey, you guys meet, don't listen to the, don't listen to the governor. Well, that, that's a problem. <laughs> that, that's a problem. I mean, you can think that way, fine, whatever, but legally, biblically, that's a problem. Obey those that are in authority. All rulers are to be subjected to the Constitution. Unfortunately, the Constitution isn't always black and white as it should be. That's why there's constitutional lawyers and judges that deal just with that because they have to figure out what was really trying to be said at that time. And by the way, the document, I totally disagree that the document is alive and, and is, it, it grows and shrinks. That is not true. This is a got document constitutional document that was set up. Now, do we have to understand the intricacies? Yes. Are any of us constitutional perfectionists? No. So this is where we get into an issue. <clears throat> the anarchy definition is the aggregate of those believed to be superior. We know better. Let me ask you, did the rioters say, we know better and we're going to put our voice out there? Yes. Let me ask you. Were the ones that said, we know better about this, we're going to do this with the Constitution or other things, were they acting the same way? Now, they didn't burn down anything. But, they dismissed things. Said, no, I'm not going to do that. 
One example is, and I'm not here to teach or preach on masks, but what does the Bible say about masks? What does the government say about masks at that time? I hated it, but it said that. Now, again, I'm not going to go through that and deal with that. It's an issue. There's, there's fighting there. Call it a mess, uncharted territory, it's not easy. How is a Christian to view these things? With humility, with honesty, and with understanding. Let me ask you, if we were to use those three principles in all of our lives, would our lives be different? Very different. Very different. This morning, as we did a while ago, because this is such an important topic, this is what I'm going to focus on as our overview. We are going to go through the Christian Bill of Rights message by Dan Davey in 2020. And then we're going to go through our Erwin Lutzer's message on Daniel. Um, again, preached in 2020. These were sermons were preached back to back at a sermon at a um, conference I was at because the reality is Christians were divided over this thing. True? So let's focus on coming from different angles what it's talking about. First of all, Luke 6, 20-49. We are not going to read it all, but we are going to see what the text says about... By the way, what is the Christian's Bill of Rights? When you hear that, what does that sound like? A Christian Bill of Rights. What's that? Okay, the Beatitudes. All right. It's, these, are, these are expectations or freedoms we enjoy and participate in, right? So for the Christian Bill of Rights, we participate in a lot of things. And there's a whole bunch of them there, right? The Bill of Rights. But for a Christian, what is that? And we have to understand the context more than anything. The, this Bill of Rights, if you want to call it that, from a Christian's point of view, the government was a ruthless, dictatorial Roman emperor who allowed anti-Semitic governors to rule the Jewish people. In the face of this, Jesus throws this bombshell after bombshell of how they are to act. So in other words... Someone that's totally against what they believe and who they are is now in charge of them, setting the rules, and God is saying, hey, here's what you need to be doing. Here's what I expect. The church at large has baptized the American Bill of Rights into church doctrine in many ways. We have believed that these, and, that, and that, that pastor that had that Facebook post shows that. The church is speaking out and encouraging people to stand up for their constitutional God-given right. Is that the job of the church? No. The church is not going to make much progress in the Great Commission unless 
we have this idea, conservatives are elected to office. Then we can save the world. What in the world? Jesus' sermon would not be welcome to many Christians and leaders today. It wouldn't be. There are eight given rights from Luke 6 that we're going to look at quickly. Number one, the right to love those you disagree with. What? Verse 27, you can look at it in the text, Luke 6, 27. You have the right to love those you disagree with. Number two, again, I've got to go through this quickly because we'll never get through it. The right to serve those who hate you. We have the right to serve those who hate you. Verse 27. The right to be gracious to those who curse you. Now, putting this in the context I've been putting it in, were we loving those we disagreed with? Were we serving those who hate us? Were we gracious to those who cursed us? The right to pray for those who hurt you. Or were we praying for this to be done, just get it done with? Instead of praying for them, the people. 1 Timothy 2, 1 through 4 says, For first of all, then I urge that entreaties and prayers, petitions and thanksgiving be made on behalf of how many? All men, for kings and all who are in authority. Why? So that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. This is a good and acceptable in the sight of God, our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. But I will tell you this, if we're not doing that, they're not going to listen to you. You have lost your voice. And all of a sudden, your culture gets to be like this. And if you continue in the path, you will have a one-man government or a one-family government. Does that make sense? Next, the right to refuse to take revenge. This, 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 this one specifically, you can see in verse 29, but this one specifically reminds me of, of what happened at the Capitol, Washington, D.C. I'm going to change it. Listen, folks. Like it or not, and listen, I understand one party is blowing it up and making it just worse than it is. I get all that. The reality, both what happened in Minneapolis and what happened in D.C. are both wrong. Whether we agree with it or not, they're both wrong. <clears throat> the right to, defraud, to be defrauded of possessions... Man, that's pretty hard. Listen, 
I have guns. I enjoy guns. I enjoy them. I use them. They're a tool. But as we have seen all over the world, if God allows the world to continue on the path that it is in, there will be people that will try to take those guns. There, is, there will. How many understand that? There will. It, it's going to happen. And it might happen at gunpoint. It might happen when they take it from your cold, dead hands. Do you remember that? I'm not advocating either way. Listen, I'm just telling you what might happen. The reality is, these are simply possessions. What do they really matter? All possessions. I used guns for an example, but I'm talking all possessions. Well, I earned it. I get it. You did. How did Jesus deal with that? How did He live? He didn't own anything. The right to not get back what others have taken. Now, there is nothing wrong if someone has defrauded you to use the government and the laws to reclaim that. There's absolutely nothing wrong with that. But in the end, we have a right to be defrauded of possessions. We have a right not to get back at what others taken. These are what the text says. Lastly, the right to see your wishes, the right not to see your wishes come true. Verse 31. So there's eight Bill of Rights for a Christian. As we look back on how we handled, or handle now even, how we fight with government or disobey government, are any of these things, or most of these things, or some, are they evident in our lives? Or do we lose our voice? You know, um, when Facebook, when you say something extremely derogatory and they pull you off of there, you lose your voice. Correct? If you know this is going to get you to lose your voice, then do something different. Do it a different way. The Bible says, if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? That's easy, right? That's why the church has become so isolated because we can get along with each other, at least most of the time. For even sinners love those who love them. If you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? That's easy. For even sinners do the same. If you lend to those whom you expect to receive, what's the big deal with that? What credit is it to you? Even sinners lend to sinners in order to receive back the same amount, but you love your enemies, do good, and lend, expecting nothing in return. This is the text. And your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, for He Himself is kind to the ungrateful and evil men. This is the Bill of Rights of, as a Christian, if you will. 
By the way, are those things commanded of Scripture? Are those principles that God expects us to have in our lives? Yes or no? Absolutely. Question is, are they? So how do we do that? Listen, Paul used his Roman citizen to not be punished, to be given a fair hearing, but never called them Christian rights. God-given, God-given constitutional rights. That's what they are. If that is correct, then, then what do we do with Romans 12 and the Sermon on the Mount found in Luke chapter 6? They are at odds with each other. We are here for the gospel. We vote our conscience, but we, do not, we are not here to legislate morality. And bring in the kingdom. We are here to proclaim the gospel. To help people realize the eventual kingdom. Our mission is an eternal one. It's not a temporary one. How do we handle this? Reject the rhetoric. Hey listen. In a sense, my blood runs red and blue and white. But my God is more important than that. How many understand? We have to be careful not to get involved with the yelling and the screaming and the the going off and, 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 and frankly, some of even the lies that are told. Or the, 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 the uh, details that you leave off to make your way look best. Reject the rhetoric. Rise above the arguments. And remember the Great Commission. I don't know if this is true or not, but that might have been the first time I ever alliterated principles. I just use what the Bible says usually and not put them in so they're all the same level. But that's true, is it not? Our mission is not to save America. That is not a God-given mission. Our mission is to save Americans. Now, if we give the gospel to Americans, then prayerfully America will be saved. I pray that that happens. But I will tell you this, until the church fulfills its mission of preaching the gospel to the world in America, the Americans, this country is doomed to fail. Christians are called to God's Bill of Rights. Luke 6, Matthew 5, Romans 12. Christians are called to bow the knee to God, not to the flag. Now, can you do both? Be careful, but you can. Our, the, the country of Israel, during the Old Testament times, 
They didn't have a flag, by the way. Their flag was the temple. (laughs) Regardless, they did everything by bowing down to God. Now, they had something that we do not have. They had a theocratic government. Totally different than what we have. We can serve our country if it doesn't mean disobeying our God. How many understand that? But when we are told to disobey our God, well, now things are different. Why? Because we have a king that is not here. He's there, but he has told us what is right and what is wrong. And therefore, this is the Bill of Rights. I understand. Obey the government is part of that. But here's the deal. How do we strong how do we respond biblically to a collapsing culture? How do we do that? Okay, I got to get through all this. If it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the furnace of the blazing fire. Folks, the blazing fire is not total, but we're close. And He will deliver us out of your hand, O King. That verse is so important, and we'll be getting to it in Daniel chapter 3. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. God is sovereign and God is able. How many would say amen, amen, and amen to that? God is sovereign and God is able. Daniel. Daniel chapter 3. Verse 18 says, But even if he does not, let it be known to you, O king, that we are not going to serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. The text is saying this, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, So you all know the story, right? We don't have to go through that. Oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to give you an answer concerning this matter. If it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the furnace of the blazing fire, and He will deliver us out of your hand, O King. But even if He does not, let it be known to you, O King, that we are not going to serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. So right now, we have taught, first of all, Luke chapter 6. We need to love, serve, and all those good things in the the biblical Bill of Rights. Then we look at this, and it's all of a sudden, we aren't obeying, these guys aren't going to obey God, or they're not going to obey the government here. Do you see that? We will not, they say. We will not. Worship your God. We will not worship the golden image that you have set up. We are not going to serve them. It's interesting, the text. And and I just want to... The illustration that was used is phenomenal. I'm going to use that. 
quickly here. How many remember the gulags of Germany? An experiment, there is a book called Gulag, and I can't even pronounce the German name. <laughs> yeah, Archipelago. <laughs> it was an experiment in literary investigation. It's a three-volume nonfiction text written between 1958 and 1968 by Russian writer and Soviet dissenter Alexander Solzhenitsyn. Solzhenitsyn. It was first published in 1973 and translated into English and French from the following year. Stalin and his labor camps is what it's about. And in, 17, in 1937, Stalin gave a speech at one of the labor camps as soon as he had been done, had done speaking, was done speaking, all the people started clapping. These are in the labor camps. Let me ask you, were they clamping because they desired to clamp? No. So all the people started clapping. The clapping kept going six minutes, seven minutes, and no one would stop clapping. What are we to do? Oh, that someone would stop, but they could not stop now. They would collapse. Some were collapsing, saying their goose was cooked. <laughs> Eleven minutes of nonstop clapping, and the local writer of his family had had enough and stopped clapping and sat down. The crowd, overjoyed, also stopped clapping. Later that night, Stalin's henchmen showed up at the door of the writer and proceeded to arrest him and sentenced him to ten years in prison. They told him some made-up charge but in the interrogation, they sternly told him, don't ever be the first to stop clapping. The author then asks a very pointed question. How does freedom die? And he answers, by thunderous applause. Pretty powerful statement, and I believe that's in the book that Lutzer wrote on this very issue. We do not applaud sin. We can obey government and not applaud sin. Why? Because God does not want us to applaud sin. This is why. How do you deal with transgender? How do you deal with sex change? How do you deal with um, uh, lesbian, gay? How do you deal with that? Well, you can sit and throw darts and tell them you hate them. Or you can share with them in a loving way what Scripture says that God desires. If they listen, you have saved a soul, in essence. Amen? If not, there's nothing you can do. Bring them back to Scripture. But certainly don't clap. Amen? You can't clap. Unfortunately, I think our churches are clapping. 
So what is this all about? Well, the reality is he's setting up this, dog, this, this, this story how that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, Oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to give you an answer concerning this matter. In other words, you already know what this is. We are devoted to a higher king than you. We refuse. We will not bow. That's the whole title of the message, by the way. And it might even be the title of his book. We will not bow. Now, to be true and honest, I can understand, it is understandable if there is a horrible, horrific, horrific disease that is going through the country and the world and it causes people, many of them, to die or maybe all of them to die if they contract it. They didn't know. Well, that, okay, hang on. Let's not be together for a short period of time till we can figure all this out. That's understandable. But I will tell you this. To forsake the assembling of ourselves together is an absolute offense and un. I'm trying to say my words well. It is an absolute offense to God and a direct disobedience to His commands. And in that, we will not bow. We will not bow. This is the very reason that Dr. MacArthur said enough is enough. We had followed your guidelines because nobody really knew what was going on. Got it. But then you proceeded to open this and that and everything to appease you and refused to open the church. We will not bow. And that's right. That's biblical. That's correct. Now, how do you say that? <laughs> I think we need to be cautious of how we say that to the world. Now, how you say that to a fellow believer can be different. Just like Jesus. Remember, that's how we started the message. Jesus ripped into the religious and with loving, kind hands dealt with the world. Does that make sense? And then he goes on. It's just it's so awesome. But even if he does not, so back to the verse sixteen. We were if if it be so, our <clears throat> we do not need to give you an answer concerning this matter. If it be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us if He chooses. If He is sovereign and decides that He wants to, He will deliver us from the furnace of the blazing fire. And He will deliver us out of your hand, O King. This was the same people that God said in Jeremiah chapter 29, pray for them, love them, be at peace with these people. But at this conjuncture, it is, they are absolutely telling the children of Israel, now bow down to this idol, and they're saying, yeah, forget it. It's not happening we will not bow. When the government oversteps its bounds and tells the church something to do that is unbiblical, clearly expressed in Scripture, you can look at them and say, we will not bow to that. Here's the problem. 
Well, we can all find ways to manipulate Scripture to not pay taxes, not be, and all this other nonsense. That is not what we're talking about. It's clear biblical instructions, and the forsaking of ourselves together is one. And that was the one that we were dealing with. So, if it be so, look at verse 17. If it be so, notice that the children of Israel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, are not saying, God will destroy you. He will save us from this. He's not saying, did he say that? He's saying, listen, we won't do that because that's against the scriptures that we have. So we won't do that. And if it be so, if God's will is true, that he wants to deliver us from this, we will be delivered. It's that easy. And if he wants to deliver us from you, he's going to do that also. Now, by the way, did God deliver Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego from the fiery furnace? Yes. And he stood with them to do it. Now, I'm not allegorizing anything, but I tell you what, the principle is really clear. When you stand up for biblical truths that are absolutely dogmatically true, God stands with you. It's His words and His commands. And whatever it may be, may be. But in this case, God stood with them. He took them away from the fiery furnace. He saved them from that. And then what did He do? This is Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were actually prophesying here, in a sense. He says, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. Here's what, and guess what? He did. And not only did he deliver them out of the out of the Babylonian captivity, literally, not the same guy, but literally. They paid for their way all the way back to Jerusalem and also gave them their foods and all to get all the way to Jerusalem and rebuild the walls and the temple. Pretty awesome, is it not? That's how God works. So if it be so, he'll save us from deliver us from the fire. God did. And he stood with them for standing up for scripture commands. Not for being an Israelite citizen. How many understand that? Secondly, but even if he does not, whether he saves me or not from this situation, I'm going to still obey my God. That's what they're saying. Because the song that we're trying, we are so trying to one of the song, hymns of the month that we're trying to get into your hands is sometimes He calms the storm and other times He calms the soul. In other words, He doesn't always fix the circumstance. I hate to say that too. He doesn't always deal with the circumstance, but He deals with your peace through the circumstance. Even if He does not let it be known, O king, it doesn't matter. My life is irrelevant. 
What matters is, I will not serve your gods, and I will not worship the golden image that is set before him. I will not bend to these things. I will not applaud the act of homosexuality. I will not applaud having our children be... Mangled, that's, there's another word, mutilated for the sake of your theology and your worldly mind. I refuse to clap for that. I refuse to applaud for that. But I will even die if it means that I won't be here. Well, let me ask you, will you die? Would, are you willing to die? for meeting with the church together. That's what they're saying. Even if he does not, let it be known, O king, that we are not going to serve your gods. Why? It's unbiblical. Here's the verse. We are not going to worship the golden image. Why? It's unbiblical. Here's the verse. We will never surrender Here's the problem. That term, but if not. What does that mean? I think it's awesome here. Are we okay with the unpredictability of God? Are we? Are we okay? if God chooses not to save us out of the storm? Are we okay to be like William Tyndale? Are we okay to be like many of the martyrs that took place under both Protestant and Catholic nonsensical state churches? Are we okay with that? Are you willing to stand up even if it means death to the commands of God? That's the question. He said, look, what happened? I see four men loosed and walking about in the midst of the fire without harm. Could you imagine? (laughs) Can you imagine that? (laughs) <laughs> these guys just told him listen guys listen here's the deal i've been he didn't they didn't say this but this is what god commanded i've been praying for you i've been serving you i've been helping you i've been ministering to you i've done all those things i've been obeying your laws when they don't go against scripture but these two do therefore we will not do this and it means that i die so be it whatever They had to have told them that. So they throw him in the fire, and now it's, are you kidding me? We threw, I mean, literally, they're, what? What is that? They're, we threw three in, there's four in there. I see four men loosed. We bound them tight. I mean, probably the first thing, what did you guys do? What'd you, did you tie a slipknot? Yeah, right? Did you, did you put a kink in the chain? What, 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 what did you guys do? They're loosed. 
And not only are they loose, they're walking around. Think about that. How many have seen those guys that I can run across a coal of fire? And it's, it's you know, they, they callous their feet up. They make these feet, you know, they, they do things to their feet that make it work and whatever. But, but it's hard to do. And it's difficult. These guys are walking in the midst of it. No preparation. <laughs> Without harm. They're not melting. They're not screaming. What? And the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. There's something peculiar about that one. I see four men. God will be with us. I think it was Tyndall. I am not, I, I can't, don't quote me on this, but I'm pretty sure it was Tyndall. Does anybody know what Tyndall did? He did the most horrific thing by translating the New Testament into English. How dare he do that? And it wasn't the secular government that persecuted and killed him. It was the religious church. Why? They had the stranglehold on Scripture, and as soon as it got out, all their lies would be exposed. Do you know what they did to him? They lied to him. They got him to a inside of a, 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 a castle area. They tied him to a post. They set a fire and burned him alive. Then do you know what they did to him? They buried him with his bones. Guess what then happened? Years later, they hated him so much that they dug up his bones and threw him in the river. What kind of hatred is that? Extremely deep. Folks, God, what is Emmanuel? What's that term? We sing it at Christmas time. God with us. The presence of God is with us in all of our lives. In other words, one does not have to be delivered to be faithful. God's not a charm to see if it works. He is God that we simply obey. All right. What are the principles in this text? Number one, we must stand alone on the Word of God. And here's what I would put again, alone. Here's what I'm trying to say. I don't care if you're alone or not. But no matter what you are, you must stand on the Word of God alone. Does that make sense? That is our solid ground. That is our everything. It's that text. I love the Constitution, but it pales in comparison to the Word of God. It truly does. We must fear God 
more than the flames. When we witness, do we fear God more than their flames? We do not need freedom of religion to be faithful. Praise the Lord for freedom of religion. How many say amen for our country and praise the Lord we have freedom of religion? Amen? Amen. But we don't need that to be faithful. I thank the Lord for it. Believe me, I love it. But, folks, China is, is there. They don't have that freedom. And you can go on and on and on of the people who do not have that freedom, yet the churches are still faithfully meeting, even if it means their death. There were people that were put on their knees in front of soldiers and their heads cut off with samurai swords by the Chinese simply for meeting and talking about God Almighty. The fruit of faithfulness. What is that fruit? If you're faithful to the Word, if you're faithful to His commands, if you're willing to obey and listen to God, no matter if it messes with your constitutional American rights, it doesn't matter if we're faithful to obey Him regardless of that, then we can honestly claim we will not bow. But don't you dare say that is more important than this. It can't, it, you can't say that. This can be totally uh, embraced and lived and relished because of what this has given to us freely. Praise God. But these words will always trump. And I don't mean that in an allegorical way. These words will always trump the Constitution of the United States. Always. We are Christians first and foremost. And praise the Lord, we can live freely in a country and express those commands freely. So far. But things will change. They will. That is what viewing from both angles of this text is telling us. We need to obey government until it makes us disobey God. Listen, the government's going to disobey God all their time. They're, they're the world. We expect that. But it's if the rule is you cannot worship, I'm absolutely positively going to disobey that rule. So, there is a conundrum. I think these two should help us with that conundrum. Amen? All right. I hate talking about this, personally, because I know all of us were on either side at one point during these times and didn't really and myself included didn't know how to handle them appropriately and made mistakes but I will tell you this 
We must obey government until they disobey. They make us disobey God. Then we, we don't obey that law. Okay, that law. The rest of them we, have, we must. But if it's unbiblical, we don't break it. Now, here's the problem. Here's what we run into, and I don't know how to answer this. Um, what do we do? We, we pay taxes. I, I guess I do know how to answer this. We pay taxes to a government that is absolutely anti-God. <clears throat> we pay taxes to them. And they use that money to perform abortions and changes, sex changes and things we totally disagree with. Is that true? Some people have the idea, well, then we just stop paying taxes. Problem is, that's not what God says. Do you realize that Rome was a much more wicked government than this one? Okay, the Roman emperor made himself to be God. And they were to worship him. That government was pagan to its core. What did Jesus say that the Israelites and the Christians... I guess not Christians, the people of God at that time, what did he say to do with the taxes? Pay them. You are no longer accountable for those taxes. They are. They will answer to God. You do not have to because you obeyed God. One of the biggest parts of my paper that I'm working on is this thing, dissertation, is this, is <coughs> the calling of God. How many have ever heard somebody say, I want to know what God's will is for my life? Every one of us have probably said that or thought of that or said it multiple times. The reality is, God just wants you to faithfully obey what you know in Scripture. And His will will absolutely be clear. Faithfully obey Scripture. That's what God wants. That is God's will. All right, we will finish up chapter 13 and 14 next week in overview. And then, depending on how much time we take, we will just finish the book of Romans. Probably not. but We will probably use the salutation. will probably take two weeks because there's a lot of principles there that we need to understand. Mr. Zarin, can you come and close us in a prayer as we are dismissed? Heavenly Father, thank you again for the truthfulness of your word. And Father, it's so easy to become discouraged in a world that is bent on evil, a world that is mindful of our minds. So, Father, may we just be assured that we are on the side of victory. Just by staying true to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and to your soul. In Jesus' name, amen.